This is The Difference, a podcast for nonprofit fundraising in a for-profit world, presented by Convergent Nonprofit Solutions, a leader in nonprofit fundraising. Convergence professionals can help your nonprofit secure sustainable funding now and for the future. Welcome, I'm Jay Worth with Convergent Nonprofit Solutions. Quality of place has come to the forefront as communities and businesses within grapple with talent and workforce challenges. Recently, Convergent Principal Andy Coe and Golden Shovel Agency's CEO, Aaron Brassois, conducted a quality of place webinar. We've adapted it for this podcast. Golden Shovel Agency is a firm with a specialty in attracting and supporting great businesses and great talent. They help shape and tell their stories, strengthening the economic vitality of their regions through branding, marketing, strategy, web development, video creation, and communication services. We begin this podcast with comments from Convergence Andy Coe. It's interesting, you know, we work all over the country. A lot of people are always asking, well, you know, you're all over the place. What are the, the main initiatives that, that you're raising money for? And, you know, honestly, it's really the top three things are very simple. It's either talent attraction, talent retention, workforce development, which all revolves around quality of life. So it is right now integral to most all of the programs that are going on right now because it is such a, a huge pain point for many communities. Obviously, you've got the record low labor force participation rate, baby boomers retiring, that's going to compound the issue going forward, lowest birth rates in history, those don't change overnight, so this is something that will be around for quite some time, and, you know, candidly, as I just mentioned, talent attraction is on everyone's mind. Before, it used to be location, 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 and now it's talent, talent, talent. You know, when we, when we started, Golden Shovel just turned 12. When we began, it was so much focus on business attraction, attracting businesses, uh, get the business there, and everyone's going to move and take the jobs. There'll be some high-paying money um, or salaries, and you know, everyone's going to grow. And that has been changing, I'd say, quite dramatically and quite fast. I feel like now, um, you know, Golden Shovel works with 240 different organizations, and I'd say at least... Half of those, if not more, have major workforce attraction focuses. And I mean, right now, especially, it's like the businesses aren't going to move unless the talent's there. And never has it been more important to be able to showcase not just what your talent is in your community right now, but where you're going to get new talent from. And uh, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about today will highlight some of those strategies. Um, I also think that the term quality of life at least when we had started, was kind of almost a, a laughing matter. Like people would be like, ah, ha, ha, you know, sure, it can do with quality of life. And that's what the tourism group does. Right. And um, that's now changed more than ever. In fact, most economic development groups are leading with quality of life aspects. And you'll see some of those examples examples today. Um, I can't uh, stress more that the, the talent war has begun and it's about to get get brutal. And I think with, with COVID, especially, you know, and everybody was suddenly doing remote working, which just doubled down on people being able to decide where they want to live to work. And um, a lot of that remote working isn't going to go away. And it's really changed 
the stakes because now to get those people in your community, you have to attract them. Different ways that um, you can improve quality of life. We're going to explain the quality of life and how to market it outside of things other than what a tourism organization is going to do. I read recently um, that an investment in your community's brand is more valuable than ever for attracting talent to move there. The problem with it is that nobody owns the brand. You can make yourself a really incredible website. You can get the best fix. You can have the best messaging. And that's just one. The economic development organization is just one player. Um, investing and supporting and partnering with your tourism organizations is so much bang for your buck right now because those are the people that are really promoting why people love visiting and those are we'll see plays right over into the into the other areas too so um so one of the ways that uh you can certainly improve your quality of life it's it's really about the quality of place and one of those areas that um, we've done some work in with a golden shovel is seeing downtown revitalizations and uh, I want to share just a couple of uh, success stories that, that we've seen. And most of these are pretty rural regions, but they each have their own cool story. The first one, and it's something to think about when engaging quality of life strategies, is to um, really bring in the people that are running the businesses. Don't just count on the city council or just your board to make these big decisions. You really want to bring in the people that are living down there, that are the tracking the visitors and um, hearing what they have to say because they have your best interests in mind of your community because they also want to have more visitors. Um, they want to see their own community improved. And a perfect example of that was in McAllister, Oklahoma. Um, they brought in a lot of these new entrepreneurs and they found that the entrepreneurs just had a great desire to improve the community, not just for all the right reasons. Uh, and they were opening the businesses downtown they were putting in these new places. This particular success story is about a, a new coffee shop called Common Roots. And if you can make it, uh, if you can get those groups engaged, they're, they're going to be able to really tell you what you might not necessarily know yourself about what's working, what's not working, what's getting people in the doors. Um, and some they might be able to bring new ideas and certainly fresh blood to what might be an older discussion, especially if board members had been, um, you know, part of the, the, the old guard of doing just business attraction and just focusing on headlines. Find your entrepreneurial networks because they're already there trying to grow and uh, certainly engage the people, especially in the downtown area when you're going to do some revitalization. Uh, another one that was a pretty big success was with Palestine, Texas. Now, this is a very economic development type of uh, initiative. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Instead of uh, instead of partnering, um, you know, just with like a tourism organization, they really focused on how historic their downtown was. And so they have all these really old buildings. There's a whole bunch of them on the National Register. And they ended up partnering with the Texas Historical Commission. They made this Imagine the Possibilities Tour. And what they were doing with it is once a year, they bring in all sorts of different types of people that might be interested in either investing or starting businesses down there. Um, developing it further, improving the historical qualities of it. And this had huge success because they go from building to building. They have the, a fall tour about the history of the place. Everybody can connect and feel 
um, you know, even more connected to the community and hear the stories. And you'll find out when we get to the marketing section, this is all about storytelling. And uh, just a neat way, it wasn't just a visitor tour. It was a tour for investors, but it was different than a fam tour because it really focused on why it's historic, the stories behind it, and why it's a great place to further. And um, in this particular uh, case study, um, it was so successful last year, they showed off seven different historic sites and six of them sold um, really, really quickly. And so I know they're going to be doing that again. And it's just a new way to think about quality of life and how to connect it to, to business prospects. Third one I wanted to touch on from downtown revitalization. This is a town in Minnesota called Medelia. And they had a big problem for, for them, a fire. They just whole bunch of things downtown there was a lot of damage done it was there was a bigger city that wasn't that far away uh, called Mankato and you know they could have the people there could have just left the downtown in, in ruins it's a very rural community and everybody could just go to Mankato but instead they raised money and they started revitalizing it and the first thing they did is they renovated and reopened this famous theater uh, where they'd have film festivals and, and movies from there, it started expanding, and they were really able to revitalize the downtown. They brought in all sorts of new types of shops. Uh, there was a brewery, wine bar, all of those uh, kind of mom-and-pop retail shops with really unique offerings, and uh, gave the whole downtown a fresh, a fresh kind of face. And I don't think this example needs to be just in the case of disaster, um, certainly, but taking the time to revitalize, uh, rebuild, and refresh uh, your downtown is a huge part of it. It's always the heart of your of your town, and you want to be able to have a great place to go, and that will attract people. I have also a handful of case studies. You know, first one I'd like to talk about, we're working with the Topeka Partnership, the Greater Topeka Partnership. And I tell you what, this is a small but mighty organization. It's not actually that small. It's a pretty big organization, but for the size and community, if anyone's ever been to Topeka, Kansas, not a huge metropolis like Raleigh, where I'm, where I'm from. But I tell you what, they are light years ahead of um, many communities and all the things that they touch. It really, for them, they have a plan that really focuses, as you can see here, on equity. Equity is at the center of everything that they do. But their five-year, this is the economic development organization, and they do in other organizations like the Downtown Partnership and other organizations that are that overlap, which is a wonderful thing because, uh, Aaron, you, you talked about earlier about how, you know, who controls the message and if you're just one slice of that message without coordinating your, your storytelling and the other things that your organization is doing, it's hard to, it's hard to control the, the message and also and I control the outcome. And so with this organization, they're tied into all the other um, organizations within Topeka that, that overlap what they do. And so it's a very effective group because they're all rowing in the same direction, which is absolutely critical. So with their five-year plan, as you see, their equity is in the middle. And then a lot of what they're, they're looking at all ties around the sense of place, a place to live, a place to learn, place to prosper, a place to belong. And each one of these has its own story and has its own chapters of how they're going to tackle these, these particular issues. But to 
with this particular organization, with their plan, it is central, it's integral to everything else. Nowhere in here do you see anything about business retention and expansion and some of the traditional, ooh, we're going to build some, some sites, we're going to have some shovel-ready sites. It is really focused on talent, it's focused on quality of life, it is creating a sense of place and creating a, um, a place where people want to be. They actually do a study there that tracks how happy people are in the community. Because in the old days, a lot of people, you know, businesses left downtown and people weren't too excited to be there. And, you know, people were just kind of, down, not down on their luck, but they were just kind of, you know, not not as excited as they are now. There's a million things happening. There's there's um, music center pavilions going up downtown. There's a lot of businesses that are opening up downtown. It's very vibrant. People are coming back and people are moving there from different parts of the country. As Aaron said earlier, you know, with the COVID and the pandemic issues with people being able to pick up and move and, and, and stay wherever they want, they've been able to actually um, really make some headway in this space. And you can see the, the quote here from Matt Pivernick, the, the CEO. Um, whether you're talking about youth sports, downtown revitalization, or attracting a new business, they're talking about being inclusive of everyone in the community. So we're in the middle of the campaign now, and it's, it's really taken off. Their lead investors are committing $100,000 per year. It's where you know you're getting traction if people are writing checks to help support your vision. I like that you said that each area of quality of life, other than you know, just a place to visit, um, has its own story. There's a story of, for that place to learn. There's a story about people that belong there and um, being able to communicate that to the right audience. So education plays a, an integral role in each community and, and to the quality of life. Everyone knows that you know, with education, it opens up door after door after door, and not just education, but training, right? Skills training. Some of you are probably pretty familiar, and others may be unfamiliar at all with, with um, the Promise Initiatives. The Promise Initiatives really um, are focused on helping people bridge the gap between, at minimum, community college education, getting skills training at a community college, for people that do not have the funds to, to pay for that education. And so Promise programs, their, their goal is to bridge that gap between um, what a student, a potential student may not have the ability to pay and then helping them to where they, they have that opportunity to go to a community college and get the skills or the education they need and obviously be a, a part of the, the workforce. So we've actually managed a handful of projects, um, campaigns in Greenwood, South Carolina, in Greenwood Promise. And this is how the story has changed. We've talked about this a little bit. 2011, we managed the campaign, raised 1.75 million. And of course, in the old days, it was all about creating jobs, which of course has the trickle down effect of, of also creating business for all the other um, businesses in the community, so on and so forth. Well, 2016, five years later, the message had changed. There were 1,321 job openings at the time. You know, for the community to go out and say, hey, we're going to go create another, we're going to attract all these companies and, and bring in another 1,200 jobs. Well, you, you did such a good job in bringing in companies that now there's there's a deficit. There's, there's many job openings that are going unfilled. And that is an opportunity cost, right? That now you, those jobs aren't being filled. So the, the economic impact is is you know, working against you because 
those companies cannot actually function the way that they need to because there's not the necessary workforce. So in that campaign, we actually raised more than double what we did previously, 4.5 million. That was 2016. Now, for those who are not familiar with Greenwood, South Carolina, it's a county population. Uh, from the last time I checked, it was like in the mid 40s. I think it's gone up since then. But over $4 million, and this is the Greenwood Promise mission, is to provide a tuition-free path to ensure Greenwood County students obtain a post-secondary education needed to develop highly skilled workforce, improve overall quality of life, and increase economic vitality. And the way that they're doing this is they pay for students coming out of high school any dollar that they cannot fund uh, through uh, grants or otherwise, they, they will cover that gap. And their motto is, you can go to college, we promise. And they pretty much guarantee that all students coming out of high school in Greenwood County will have that opportunity. That's absolutely incredible to raise that much money for a community of that size. And, and it's, it's got such traction. You can see here in 2021, raised another $4 million. So it's, it's something that is absolutely resonating with that community. And it's interesting to see those kinds of incentives. You, um, there's places all across the country that are literally just paying people to move there so that they have the talent in place and everything from, we'll give you a mountain bike to we'll take your student right. loans or. All sorts of motivations and things. So ultimately for us, right? So I, we raise money for a living and ultimately there's, you know, as everyone knows, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of nonprofits out there all trying to raise money as well. For us, it's super simple in regards to how we're advising clients on how we can maximize the amount of money that we can raise for that organization. And as we've already talked about today, a lot of what we're looking to, it's one thing to have all these ideas and all these things that you'd like to do. Aaron's going to talk a lot about marketing and doing all sorts of really neat programs. But unless you actually have the funds to commit to implement those programs, you'll need to at some point along the line either get additional funding or convince uh, people in your community of your vision to help fund some of the initiatives to address these issues. And so for us, it's all about coming up with measurable outcomes that you can clearly articulate to your potential stakeholders and your funders. Why? Because ultimately, if you can clearly articulate the benefit of the program of work that your organization is implementing, you'll be able to raise a lot more money that way because, you know, these are businesses, right? They want to be able to see if I give you X amount of dollars and you're able to implement these programs, what's in it for me? What's the impact? And unless you can clearly articulate that, you might raise some money, but you're not going to raise the amount of money that you could ultimately raise if you could clearly articulate the impact of your program of work. Now, in the old days, the direct and in indirect economic impacts that's, that's super simple. You can do that in your sleep, right? Okay, we have X amount of jobs. Those jobs are going to equal X amount in tax, taxable income for the municipalities and for the county. Um, and then you're looking at all the other impacts. So you can clearly articulate that. The real fun begins, and the real difficulty is talking about these quality of life impacts. It's very difficult to, to measure. Like, how do you how do you measure healthcare benefits, education, and some of the other things that we're talking about? You can dig a little bit deeper and get granular and look at the value lost if action not taken. This is my favorite. People, a lot of people don't like having this conversation, 
I love having this conversation. Look at Greenwood Promise. What would have been the opportunity cost had they not taken action to create that, that promise program? Well, you can put value there, right? You can look at those 1,300 jobs that went unfilled and look at the opportunity cost of, hey, we filled those jobs and now look at the economic benefit. But if they had done nothing, there's negative consequences, right? So it's okay to talk about that, especially if you're going out trying to convince people of the path that you're looking to go down and the, and the potential benefits because not doing something is a decision and there will be impacts there. And so that's okay having that conversation. And then beyond that, if you can dig deeper and look at the societal benefits enhanced, the cost avoided, quality of life impacts, these are the things that if you can drill down and really come up with those measurable outcomes, it will be critical to the success of, of where you're trying to go and ultimately helping to, to get funded to help pay for those programs. I just had a, a question about, so value lost if actions are not taken. How do you, do you use historical examples to determine, or I guess you can't determine them, but to predict those? Or how do, what are some of the methods of <laughs> doing that? Well, well, just, I mean, I, I think the easiest one is just like the one that I talked about with Greenwood Promise. I mean, there's, um, I'll talk through a case study here where, again, the, the trend, there's been a shift. We've talked about it already of where we were, say, 10 years ago and where we are now. And it's not so much the, the idea that we're going to be recruiting lots of, you know, marketing to bring companies to the community. It's more of, hey, let's take care of the companies that we have here first and make sure they don't go away. Then we can really focus on you know, the marketing machine of bringing new companies here, but it's a chicken and egg thing, as you know, Aaron, without having the, the people there, how are you going to recruit the companies in the first place? And and this is the war, you mentioned it, the talent war, but using that Greenwood Promise example, if they would have not created that, that fund to help these kids go to college and get the skills that are necessary to fill the, the jobs in the community, you can easily measure the impact of, you know, maybe it's not 1,300 jobs, now it's 2,500 jobs that are going unfilled, and then you might have companies leaving. Those are all impacts that you can add up and say, hey, listen, without addressing this problem, it could get worse, and here's the, here's the net loss of, of the economic impact that we would lose out on otherwise without filling these jobs. You know, this is a little bit older one, but it's one of my favorites. I think the Roanoke Regional Partnership was actually ahead of their time. This is my last campaign that I personally managed. It was 10 year, just over 10 years ago. They actually hired and have still the same person on staff that it does nothing but um, brand the outdoors. They created their own marathon that they branded that America's toughest wow. road marathon. And this is all out of their economic development office, which is fascinating. Um, they, they created their own outdoor festival. So this is all done within a foundation that is under the umbrella of the, the regional economic development law. And 10 years ago, this wasn't nearly as big of a topic. It wasn't nearly top of mind. And candidly, when we went out to do a feasibility study testing their program of work, a lot of people were scratching their heads saying, wait a minute, we have a tourism bureau here. What are we, why are we doing all this? People bought in. They said, okay, we'll give you some money. We'll test it out, see where it goes. And oh my gosh things just really took off. <clears throat> Where the population used to be flat or maybe down a little bit, population started to pick up. They recruited a handful of companies that fit within their space, L.L. Bean, a brewery, 
whole host of wow. companies that really fit within that messaging and branding that they were looking at. And it really resonated, especially with the large employers, uh, Carillion Hospital, where 10 years ago they were $25,000 a year. Now I think they're just over $100,000 a year with their investment to the Roanoke Regional Partnership. So you can see 10 years ago we raised $3 million, five years ago 3.4, and this last campaign is about 4.1. That's the type of inertia that you can generate with a, with a really quality program that the community is supporting financially and they see the results. This is an organization that, you know, is a body in motion. That's the whole idea of the law of inertia, right? Body in motion tends to stay in motion. Body at rest tends to stay at rest. And they're crushing it. And, you know, the fact that we're just in a pandemic and just finished a campaign that was over a million dollars, the one that we did 10 years ago, that's don't need to say anything else. They're, uh, they're really knocking it out of the park. One of the little nuggets of some of the programs that we see um, that, again, not traditional economic development. We did a feasibility study for the Lawrence Chamber. We, of course, uh, Kansas Jayhawks just won the national championship, so a uh, great place to be this past year. They had a $2.5 million campaign with a lot of traditional economic development issues, and when we did the feasibility study, there's a couple things that came up, up time and time again. Number one was housing, that it was nowhere to be seen in the economic development plan, and also um, affordable child care. And it's an issue, right? Like if you have parents that can't that can't find child care, they're not going to work. They're going to be with their kids. And the other thing is, if it's too expensive for those individuals to find to, to have child care so they can go to work, then they're not going to go to work if, if it costs them more than, than it would cost to, to uh, just be at home and, and watch the kids themselves. So these are the types of things that really you'll need to dig from your local community. What are the needs? Ultimately, they ended up updating their program of work based on all the feedback that they received on the front end. And they now have a specific goal and, and an outcome, right? We talked about measurable outcomes of re, um, recruiting up to 250 parents and getting them back to work. This is a you know huge issue there in that community. And you know, this was something that was not part of the initial plan. Now it is part of the initial plan because it was something that resonated with the community. So just a, a real small example, but something that, again, it ties into the quality of life. If, if people obviously have uh, quality child, child care that's affordable, then that's going to be a benefit for the community. Thank you, Andy Coe, a principal with Convergent Nonprofit Solutions, and Aaron Brassois, CEO of the Golden Shovel Agency. To access additional resources and the Convergent Library of The Difference podcasts, go to ConvergentNonprofit.com. Click on the Resources tab. I'm Jay Wirth. Thanks for listening.